0: Snuff production.
1: This is part two of Packers Gold. Nearly a quarter century after 283 kilos of gold and a Vegemite jar of gold nuggets disappeared from Kerry Packers' office safe, the case remains unsolved. Police have a suspect, a man we're calling Mr X. They believe Mr X romanced a former employee, Packers Private Secretary Pat Wheatley, who by accident or out of revenge told the safecracker about the gold and how to get it. But is it as simple as pillow talk? My investigation has raised intriguing new questions about the robbery and how much Kerry Packer knew. Security was famously slack at 54 Park Street, Sydney, the Packers' headquarters for decades. Richard Walsh was Managing Director in 1995. Someone walked into the building and effectively helped themselves to a Lamborghini by saying they were part of the team. What happened?
2: Well, in that particular case, someone came in during lunchtime, went to an editorial area that was empty, phoned a Lamborghini dealer and said they were calling on behalf of uh, James Packer and that James had got it into his head that he wanted to buy a Lamborghini, but before he bought it, he wanted to have a little bit of a test run, uh, would that be possible? And uh, people seem very <laughs> pleased to fall in with that. And they arranged to bring a Lamborghini and put it in the bay downstairs for James to have a, a run in. And somebody came with a Lamborghini when they brought it into the loading dock. Somebody greeted them and said, Mr Packer, thanks you very, very, very much. I will let you know. And whoever it was stepped into the Lamborghini and was never seen again.
1: An informant helped the cops understand how the security guards might have missed the robber.
0: Jack Jungbutt. Another detective was giving some information about the security guards. We met the security guard. He didn't want to have anything recorded anywhere so he sat down and told us that um, the security gig at the ACP building was one of the best gigs going. Night shift they spent it all in the gym and the swimming pool and the uh, squash courts. At the Hyde Park Club next door. Well, part of the ACP building, actually, which the security guards had access to. So they basically were missing most of the night shift. So that we thought, ah, right, this is something else Mr X might have known. Indeed, a very important piece of information.
1: The robber had two challenges, getting into the building and getting out with the gold. If Pat Wheatley told him about the gold, then she could have also told him about the security and their habit of playing squash next door at the gym. I've also been told Mr X was seen at least on one occasion outside Park Street doing surveillance. The next question. Once he's gained entry and cracked the safe, how does he leave the building unnoticed with 283 kilos of gold? What the police believe is that he wheeled the gold into the goods lift, which has been there for donkey's years, and took it down to the ground floor. It's a little bit different now. The garage door is still there, but in the 90s there was a loading dock as well, where trucks would load magazines for delivery. The only one who ever parked here was KP himself, and that was only on weekdays. On weekends, the garage was empty. Jack Jungblut again. We
0: assume that... um he may have put a vehicle in the dock, no security guards there, just wheeled the goal straight down, come down the lift. And Mr X had a ute. If it was Mr X, wheeled it straight in the back of the ute and taken off. While well, the uh, security guards had their sporting pursuits next door. We're having a good time,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the inquiry was losing momentum, The police knew about the relationship between Mr X and Pat Wheatley. They had a theory that Pillow Talk opened up the opportunity for a rich payday for Mr X. Or that Wheatley helped in the theft as an act of revenge against her boss. But this was all circumstantial. There was nothing linking the suspect to the crime scene. It was time for a change of tactics by the police.
0: I thought... We're getting nowhere with this inquiry, we've got to rattle the cage, as they used to say in those days, and try and get things moving, see if he spoke on the phone. So we'll just stop him in the middle of the street and just grab him and see what he's got to say. So I had a conversation with him, he was very guarded, didn't say anything, just let me do the talking. And then I said to him, because it was coming up for Christmas, and I just happened to say to him, well, Mr X, have a happy Christmas we might be talking to you later." And he looked at me and said, that's up to you whether I have a happy Christmas or not, and sort of looked at me. Straight away, I knew. He was letting me know that I knew there was him. And that's as close as he got? That's as close as I got because he just suddenly went quiet. The phone conversation stopped, everything stopped. I suppose he got even more paranoid and he just ceased all activity. (laughs) We went into even deeper hiding. And it was
1: at this point police pulled the pin on the investigation.
0: Because we handed the the whole inquiry over to the Crime Commission because my boss come and saw me and said, because no one's talking now and it's getting towards a dead end, give it to the Crime Commission and uh, they've got the powers to call these people in and make them talk. That was the idea and didn't go any further there either.
1: Often in these cases, the robber puts himself in eventually. They just can't help themselves and they brag to somebody about how clever they've been, but not this time. George the safecracker again. And I think one of the most significant attributes is that he's kept quiet. Well,
3: the the art of being a great thief is to keep your mouth shut. If you're going to do something illegal, the idea is you, you don't tell anyone about it. You know, there's an old saying, three can keep a secret if two are dead. And in the criminal world, that's paramount.
1: So nine months after the break-in, the investigation came to a dead end. But mine continues. I'll examine exactly how Mr X made off with the gold and some startling new information which might change what we understand about this case.
0: You know, when I was a kid started working, I would have been around 15.
4: We could be pawned six out a week.
1: Mark Irvine has been working with safes since he was 15 years of age. His father, once a policeman, created city safes in Sydney in the 80s when safes were being attacked regularly. It was Mark's job to help take away the remains of the safes.
4: You know, they have long weekends and the weekends were always, the, you know, now these days everyone virtually works seven days, but them days, all the buildings, everyone shut down on the Friday and you could guarantee Monday morning but would have all the, you know, the gangs be going around cutting up. But that's because alarm systems weren't that good. And the, the worst part of when they cut open the safes So much of the time they used the the owner's oxyacetylene in factories and the rest of it, they had oxyacetylene there, used their
1: oxyacetylene, left it there. However, these robberies were not always what they seemed. In your experience, there are situations where things are made to look like they've been cut.
4: Why would they do that, Mark? Exactly, well, most of the time it would be insurance jobs. Everything would be insurance. And there is not a lot of experienced people in the safe game. There is experienced people in there, but if you don't speak to the right person, it all looks good, and 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 they do get away with it. I mean, there wouldn't be one; there'd be many, many, because I've seen many in my time.
0: Which, right. Uh,
4: and typically, what's the situation when you come to one of those jobs? Well, it's not my business to say anything. I haven't been asked to say anything. And, no, of and, course and, not. and I don't say anything about it at all. I do my job. Of course. What I was paid to come in and do, and
1: uh, everyone can sort out their own issues. Absolutely, but, that's yeah. the, that's the way of the world. Yeah. But, but as, a, as a professional, you look at these things and say, well. If they did ask me, this is what I'd tell them. Well, i probably, yeah, I probably would, you know, but I've never been,
4: uh, never been asked.
1: I spoke to Mark Irvine for this investigation. He'd been dispatched to pick up the safe after the police had finished their work. He recalled how odd the job had been. The first problem was that this old safe was not secure enough to store that much gold. The insurers should never have paid out. Let's start from the basics. What sort of safe was this? At a cash rating, if we
4: rate safes these days with a cash rating, so the higher the cash rating, the harder they are to get into. In simple terms, if I was to look at that safe, that'd have a cash rating of probably no higher than about twenty to thirty thousand. So, as a recommended value, would say to hold in there, it'd be around thirty thousand dollars.
1: So putting five million plus of gold, no way. No, there's
4: a, there's a different type. They're banker safes or torch and drill resistance safes. Now, if this was in the right safe, which would be a torch and drill resistant safe, his oxyacetylene wouldn't have cut through it, wouldn't have cut through at all.
1: So it was the wrong safe. And yet still Packers insurers, FAI insurances, happily paid out. FAI's investigators didn't speak to the only person who was in the building over that weekend, Packers Magazine publishing boss Richard Walsh. But then again, nor did the police.
2: No, that's the most amazing thing. To me, it would have been the most natural thing. I was the only person in the building that day. I was occupying an office that was directly above uh, Kerry's uh, office. My office was roughly the same size, his same layout. And as I say, there's nothing I could have told them, but I'm surprised that they didn't
4: ask me that.
1: If the safe was cut with an oxy torch while Richard Walsh was in the building, he would have heard something, according to Mark Irvine.
4: You're going to hear, you're going to hear a bit of crackling. So you're going to hear crackling, more or less like snapping branches. That's what you'll hear. Snapping branches, uh, not a lot more than that. So if that's all is used.
1: We already know that Richard Walsh heard nothing.
4: No, well, it would have been startling to me because
2: my floor was always pretty quiet, but it was very quiet, quiet as a tomb. uh, I would have heard
4: any strange noise.
1: Okay, so this safe cutter was good. Maybe so good it was scarcely credible. Mark Irvine.
4: There's a lot of things that you've got to fit in the box here and uh, possibly they all happen, but uh, it's good to see you having a look a little bit further.
1: Let's work through each aspect of the robbery with the help of our experts. George is a former safe-cracker who worked with some of the best in the business. He doubts the job was a solo effort.
3: You would have to have someone with you, you couldn't do it on your own. I would suggest they'd have someone looking out from the rooftop, the police scanner and a walkie-talkie and from the rooftop you can see if anyone's approaching police-wise. And if a call went in about a silent alarm or someone report a break and enter at the address, well you'd hear it come on the scanner and the person on the rooftop would alert his colleague who was doing the job. And the police believe that it, it was one man. There's only evidence of one
1: man at this stage. You'd have to say if you were on your own, you'd have to have so many things going right for you, wouldn't you?
3: You cannot do something like this on your own. You must have someone there with you for safety reasons, unless there isn't a safety issue.
1: That you're so much of an insider at this it's
3: moment? so much you're inside. You know, it's an inside job. You don't need to have a safety issue and you just have to make it look like it's been opened. If it wasn't an inside job, there's no way known you can do something like that, you know, especially with the weight of the gold.
1: Our safe expert from the other side of the law, Mark Irvine, agrees. Working with an oxytorch in a confined space is a risky business.
4: To be cutting in a building and being there on your own and to try and make sure the place doesn't catch alight, light, master job, master job you could do that because I know I couldn't do it. We have to have all the floor protected and that's still that's still a little bit hairy, but uh, there's no way in the world I would use an oxycetylene in there because even with two blakes, there'd be an, an hour or so just to set it all up so you don't burn the place down and then you'd still be a bit nervous with the heat coming out of it. When you can turn a steel to liquid, And then not to mention like you've got molten steel rolling off either side it's going to be spraying everywhere so you're trying to put out fires everywhere so you had to have a fire extinguisher to put them out there's just no ifs or buts it all sounds a bit strange to me there's a lot of things you've got to believe there and everything fits too neatly into the box that i just don't think uh could have happened but uh
1: Mark says you'd need a sheet of steel to prevent the place going up in flames. But carrying that around is not practical for the professional safe cutter, says George.
3: Well, I imagine they'd have a little bit of canvas on the carpet so it doesn't start a fire. What about smoke? Well, there would be some sort of smoke. And I imagine you don't want anyone from adjoining buildings or across the road. So I would imagine you'd cover up the windows or seal the windows with maybe black plastic and tape. So someone happens looking out their window, and they can see something going on, it looks like there might be a fire in there from the glow. There's a little bit of smoke, but there were smoke detectors, yeah, you just put a plastic bowl over them. He would have thought about all of that, yes.
1: The cut on the safe was clinical and made exactly where the locking mechanism was located inside. Not a difficult operation with an old safe like this, if you understood the safe.
3: Very easy safe to open, um, not like the safes of today. Uh, law enforcement and security has improved leaps and bounds. We do
1: know that Mr X was one of the best, an apprentice to a crack team of safe cutters that worked in Melbourne from the 1960s.
3: He would have been taught by someone good and, you know, through the 60s and, you know, early to mid-70s, there was a lot of safes open like that and normally by the same team of people, which I'm sure the accused worked with and no doubt picked up on how to do it.
1: It wasn't unusual for this team to acquire the plans for the safes they attacked. They might buy an identical safe to practice on. The margin for error would be slim. The small gas bottles they carried gave them only a maximum of 20 minutes cutting time. But even the best in the business could not foresee all the challenges, such as the relocking mechanisms that were placed in unique positions in safes like Kerry Packers. Mark Irvine.
4: It's just a plate safe. It's a, just a normal plate safe. So normal plate safe, it'd have um, probably one basic relocker in it. Um, and a relocker that, being once if you if so if you cut through a wire, there's a wire in there. So it goes around all your vital points, your locking bars and everything. This wire will run around there. So as soon as that gets heat, this wire snaps, then puts another bar to stop the locking bars coming across. So once that's happened, so that little hole you've cut. Now you've got to start cutting out and finding where this re-locker is. And that p- can be put in any position of the safe. So they now have to torch out holes. And a lot of the Chubb good stuff, they randomly put these relockers lockers in. So, so if anyone was working at the factory, well, they they wouldn't know, because it could be the same model safe, put in all different positions around there. So but probably only one
1: relocker, locker though,
0: in this case, it I think.
4: probably was only one relocker locker because it is a, a basic model. Uh, but Chubb's always made a good safe, so... Whatever they had at the time, it would have been the best offer. Yeah, great market, safe, so. but just yeah, out of date. Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it. it's,
1: more, it. it's, it's more Mr Packer's look oh, out that's rather exactly right. than sharp. That's it's like if you, if you keep your safes updated. And the fact was he had a big strong room with a door about a foot yeah, thick. Yeah, you no, know, no, he had some good safes there, yeah. That would have been the best place to put the gold, I would have
4: thought. Yeah, no. Well, I suppose if I had that much gold, I'd want to go in right next to the office and have a look at it all the time, but... <laughs> <no>. <laughs>
1: From what we know, Mr. X had no trouble with the relockers or anything else for that matter. He left no trace behind besides the small scorch mark on the red carpet of Packer's office. However, a key crime scene picture raises questions for Mark Irvine. The picture shows the safe with the door open and the access panel covering the mechanism of the safe was still in place.
4: The pen or the access panel. To do any servicing, that panel has to come off. Now, these days we have a key that opens up like a door. Back then, you had to undo all these screws all the way around. So it's a bit of a chore getting all these screws off. Um, once you undo all them screws, then you go to service there. But you can see exactly what's happened. You can't look at a cut and know exactly what's happened because you know how do they get past the relockers? Where the relocker's active? There's another story inside that panel. So inside that panel tells a big story.
1: But as far as we know, the access panel on Kerry Packer's safe was never removed during the investigation. If it had, history may have been different. The picture we have tells its own story according to Mark. He says the position of the three locking bars is not what you would expect from a safe that's been opened.
4: These locking bars this is what locks the whole safe. Yes, three three right. steel rods effectively. Yeah, yeah, so they lock the whole safe. But if those locking bars are out, out as in yeah, like- Yeah, yeah, so in a locked position. Extended, yeah. And what I can see there, they look like they're in a locked position. How do they get into a locked position? The pan hasn't been taken off. The door's been cut open. How do they get into a locked position? What I'm saying, if you you oxy the safe open, you take any weight off the handle. So now you've got to lever the locking bars back by yourself. So he may have levered them back by himself, but why are they out now for? If yeah. they are out, no one's taken the pen off, no one's going to get in there and try and push them lock again. If you open the door, it was in the locked position, you cut a hole in there, bang, it's done. It's out, it's open. So
1: I'm not saying this happened, but if they are out, you know how did that happen it raises the possibility that when whatever cut was made was made the door was open
4: Open. yep i'm not going to say that all this did happen but these are all possibilities
1: i showed the same photograph to george when you look at this photograph you can see the locking pins the three of them are actually extended so that's in a locked position yet the door's open
3: it looks like an inside job, but of course the victim have so much power, the police probably didn't want to suggest that.
1: So the evidence of what happened to Packers Gold lies behind the access panel of the old safe. It would be easy enough to make a superficial cut to the front of the safe door to make it appear as if the safe was cut. You could only tell what really happened by removing the access panel, which apparently was never done. So what happened to the safe? Days after the robbery, Mark and his workmates were loading the safe onto a truck in the car park when they were approached by someone who claimed to be an employee of Kerry Packer. Mark Irvine again. And the safe was missing
4: its door. No, no, we, we've cut that off. You cut that off. We thought it was a strange request, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we took that off and give it to him, put it in his boot. And that was the only evidence that the That's safe it. was That's actually it. cut. So that door meant everything. That, that'll tell you exactly... What's happened there? If you were to pinch somebody, you have to have that You have to chamber. have the door. Yeah, you have to have the door. And yeah. I would have thought the police should have Well the body's the body's nothing. The body means absolutely nothing. Yeah, right. The door means everything.
1: I think I recall you saying at the time that maybe the guy had taken it home for his fireplace or fireplace, something. Fireplace,
4: that's what he told us. He was going to, so it may well be out there somewhere. Or
1: well, maybe, maybe. And do we know who this bloke? Was he just pitched up or what was who was he? He was He just seemed to have pitched up there. No one I've spoken to about this recalls who that mystery man was, much less what happened to that souvenir of the robbery. It was just never mentioned again. Even today, it would explain the mystery of Packers Gold and George agrees with Mark Irvine's assessment. The interesting thing is that when the blokes were taking the safe away, this fellow walks in and says, oh, can I have the door? So it disappeared. And that door is the only way you could really tell what had happened.
3: Without a doubt, it's an inside job. Mm. You also talk about the victim being a master corruptor. They so. gave him a state funeral. Yeah, he was still costing the taxpayers money even in death.
1: Richard Walsh, the only person in the building when the goal went missing, had never heard that the door had been souvenired until I told him. Yet he knew all of Packer's senior executives. Did anyone ever say that they had the door?
2: No, I mean, you know, when I left the building in 2000, um, you know, it it continued to be one of the most extraordinary um, mysteries in my mind. Uh, Because the police hadn't interviewed me, I felt that there was something fishy as though they knew all the answers and weren't doing anything. It felt to me as though the investigation had never been...
1: Dinkum. Technically speaking, you would be a person of interest, of a course. suspect until eliminated and Absolutely. they never spoke to you.
2: Of course, of course, of course, exactly so. Yes, as, they should have asked me as a witness and asked me as a prospective burglar and wondered how I was living in such a fancy house <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> Playing
1: tennis with your haughty toity friends. But,
2: of course, the other thing was that, uh, I mean, we also knew that there was something fishy about the insurance aspect. I mean, as, as I understood it, Kerry had received an insurance payout, and yet how come...
1: Our safe technician says that old safe was rated for $20,000 cash only. If you put $5 million of gold in a $20,000 rated safe, right. you wouldn't get a payout.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did yes, get a payout, didn't he? He did.
1: So it leads me to think maybe the real victim of this was were the policyholders of FAI.
2: Some people thought that Kerry had pinched it himself... I mean, he was low on cash at that time. That's why Al was in there. And the idea that it was kind of uh, had the bullion but got the insurance somehow miraculously, uh, that was a theory that was certainly I was familiar with. Um, I must have had some kind of exchange with Kerry and he seemed so unmoved by it all. He did seem unmoved. He didn't seem angry or what, it just these things happen
1: kind of thing. Uh, And yet someone had come into his inner sanctum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think was that place of power and and majesty that Kerry occupied. It's a violation.
2: And, and, And I can't see how Kerry would not have seen it as a violation.
1: And what of KP himself? If he was upset, he wasn't showing it. A few days after the robbery, he left for Las Vegas and reportedly won $15 million on the baccarat table. And he claimed the insurance on the stolen gold. This was more about trust than money and the outrage that his inner
0: sanctum had been breached. But that would pass too. The cops kept tabs on Mr
1: X for a while before they had to move on to tackle other jobs. Paul Watson. Was there any... Evidence of a change in lifestyle or anything that was significant that might have given you the the idea that, yes, he's cashing in the gold somehow?
3: Not that I'm aware of, no. Uh, To the contrary, uh, in many ways, many, many years later and some 15 years later, uh, I happened to be out at Sydney Airport for another investigation and uh, observed a vehicle of the same make and model that we had seen uh, our suspect in back in '95. A utility, eh? Yes. So to see the same make and model 15 years later caught my eye. Turned out, when I was able to go back to the office, turned out to be our suspect. The registration had changed. And uh, many years later, he still, his mode of transport hadn't changed, which I found a little surprising. So lifestyle change now didn't seem to uh, have changed too much for someone who, if he got his hands on as much gold as we think he did, uh, I probably would have found myself in a uh, in another part of the world. Yeah, which,
1: I guess it's an indication of the old-style crook who wants to stay below the radar, uh, doesn't want to draw attention to himself. It makes you wonder, what's the point of all this? When you can't enjoy your ill-gotten gains, if that's what he, he did, is it all about the cleverness, all about the, I got Kerry Packer's
3: gold? I suspect there's something about that, although... I don't know who you tell.
1: Jack Youngblood was full of admiration for the skills of Mr X.
0: Uh, so he was a very, very cautious and very good safe breaker and very cautious criminal. Just a good crook. One of the best crooks I've ever, ever had to work on.
3: Yeah.
0: And he beat you. Certainly did. Certainly did. Mr X is
1: still around. He's in his 80s now and could explain this mystery if he so chose. But I can't see that happening. Mr Packer continued to frequent the restaurant where he first met Mr X One wonders if they ever exchanged words about that missing gold Pat Wheatley died in 2008, aged 64 Her estate was worth about $2.5 million Including an Art Deco Sydney apartment with harbour views And a property in the New South Wales Southern Highlands Which had three bedrooms, three en-suites and a tennis court a tidy pile for a personal assistant. But there was no evidence she received any loot from the robbery. She never got over the shock of her axing from the Packer Empire. So we're left with a compelling mystery. This could have been an elaborate insurance job carried out by a willing crook who was recruited for the task. He was well known to both Mr Packer and his one-time secretary. If that were the case, then the robbery was a massive fraud and the policyholders of FAI were the ultimate victims. Packer had done some business with the Adler family, which owned FAI, and Rodney Adler went to jail for crimes of dishonesty in relation to the collapse of another insurance company. When I spoke to Adler, he couldn't recall if the payout was ever questioned or investigated. With Packer and Wheatley both deceased, they can't help, even if they wanted to. Of course, this robbery could be solved if the door to the safe could be located. But some crimes, especially when they involve the super-rich, just never get solved. The producer was Sarah Grinberg. Mixing, editing and theme music by Matt Nicolich. Executive producer, Grant Totten. This has been a Real Crime production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Listener.